Welcome to ATR. I'm Jerry Oster. Beside me, it's not the big man. Big man's on a Zoom call right now. To the right of me, we got Mr. Andy Zaliniak, the best skills coach we got here at the rink. How are we doing today, Andy? What an intro. Thank you very much. Very excited about our interview today and very excited to be back on the podcast. Well, how long has it been, man? It's been a couple months since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a little, little longer than I'd like, but I'm just happy to be back here. Like usually we have Jarv. This is Jarv's teacher. Yeah, I'm taking, taking, over. taking over Jarv's spot. Sorry, Jarv. Well, we got a we got a wicked interview coming up with Aaron Volpatti. You spent a lot of time with Aaron Volpatti in junior. Um, you know, you're kind of the connection for this interview. Uh, excited for the interview coming up. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, Aaron was a, still is a great friend of mine. Um, we played three years in Vernon, uh, and I sort of got to watch him grow right from. Uh, little six foot 150 pounds to an NHL player weighing two weighing 220 pounds so um, looking forward to the interview and uh, looking forward to catching up with them well before we get to the interview uh, let's just quickly go over some things that are going on around the rink uh, you know we're back to somewhat a little bit of normalcy you know numbers are getting more kids on the ice and programs uh, going over some rules just so everybody's fresh and everyone knows the rules coming into the rink um, you know, one parent per athlete still. Uh, we're hoping, you know, at the end of next week that the restrictions change a little bit more. Uh, masks are to be worn by the athlete on the ice as well as the coaches and parents that are spectating. So just make sure that you got your masks with you. Uh, we've also launched our spring and summer programs coming up. So if you're looking for stuff within the spring or programs for the summer, that's on our website and it's open for registration now. Uh, spring break camps have also been launched. And I know there's parents out there that kind of scramble last minute due to COVID and everybody wanting to get back on the ice. There are some spots still open for those spring break camps. But if you're thinking about it, call in, call myself, call Andy, call the front desk, uh, but get your registrations in as quick as you can. Should we just get to this podcast? It's an unbelievable interview. Let's drop the puck. Oh, here we go. Patty dropped Winchester with a right hand. A one-punch knockdown for Aaron Volpatti, and Brad Winchester is in trouble. All right, so our next guest hails from Revelstoke, BC. I had the privilege to play with him for three seasons in Vernon with the BCHL. Uh, before he went on to have a successful collegiate career at Brown University, once he got his degree at Brown University in human biology, he signed with the Canucks and Moose at the time with the organization and then went on to play few years in the NHL with the Canucks, as well as the Capitals. My pleasure to introduce Aaron Volpatti. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you, Z. I know we don't uh, catch up as much as we should, so. Yeah, it's been a while. My next trip is definitely out to BC. Yeah, I know. I'm waiting on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, uh, this was, I think, podcast 39, and that was the best intro we've ever had, so. Congratulations, Aaron. This guy spent all night coming up with that intro. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what you came up with? That's yeah, not funny. Bad. I kept it simple. Kept I thought it, it was simple. pretty average, but okay. <laughs> I thought he, it sounded like he was doing a school project there for a second. <laughs> okay, so I'm not doing intros anymore. <laughs> okay, so let's get right to it here, Aaron. Let's start with Junior. Uh, you played for the Vernon Vipers of the BCHL. Uh, you grew up, like Andy said, in Revelstoke, uh, British Columbia. Was playing in the BCHL and going the college route always the plan for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of that is just related to my whole story. I didn't really have much of a choice. Like, I wasn't that good. I mean, 
<laughs> I kind of just snuck in to, to junior, really. I mean, we, did we play together my first year, Zinger? When did you come Yeah, back? it was your first year, and I remember you were about, you were probably six feet or 5'11", and probably about a buck 50. Yeah, I wasn't that big. I think I was listed at like 175 pounds, but that was generous. To go back to your question, it was more of, um, it was kind of my only option, really. Like, I played junior B in Revelstoke and did pretty well. And then um, Larry Black, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. You might remember him. He was sort of a scout with the Vipers and then he moved there full time. But he was the one that played a big part in getting me to that next level. And just, I'll never forget, he was one of the guys that said, don't forget who you are. You, you know, like you are this, you're not this. It was very black and white. And as you guys know, roles um, have really changed in the game. Like when we played Zinger and Vernon, it was like a very hard line between the bottom six and the top six. And you knew exactly where you stood, where I feel like now that's hard because partly because the game has changed so much, right? Where all the lines are skilled, but it was like, this is what you are. And I embraced it. And it was just like, I didn't try and change it. Um, so to go back to your question, I didn't really have an option to go to the WHL. I mean, I, I think I might've got like a letter or two when I was 17, 18 saying, Hey, do you want to, you know, come to our camp? We, we just want your money kind of thing. It wasn't like I had a chance to make the team. Right. So my goal was just to make Vernon. Um, and it was a lofty goal because Vernon was so good. So I could, I could have had a better chance to maybe go somewhere else, but Revelstoke was, had some affiliation there. So that was my plan, and that's, yeah, it was basically my only, my only real option. So you spent four years in Vernon. You know, you talked about meeting Andy there. Um, what was your time like? You know, you said that you kind of didn't expect to kind of play junior A, or that was your only kind of option. What were those four years like for you growing into a role? And what was it like playing with Andy and uh, some funny stories maybe from your junior career? Oh boy, funny stories. How much time do you guys got? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think like, I think the, the best memories are just the amount of fun that we had. Uh, Zinger can, can attest to that. We had a good group of guys. Um, and it helped that we had such a good team too. And I mean, I think Zinger, you'd agree the the year we went to the finals and lost is still, I look back and I'm just like, I don't even know how it happened. Like we, we were such heavy favorites and to lose that, but it was still a really cool ride. And obviously it helps when you're having success as a team, not only personally, personally for moving on, but you know, in that moment and having fun, like, you know, we had a good time. I think we partied a lot more than the kids do now. And, you know, we enjoyed our time off the ice, which was, which was fun. And we developed friendships like Zinger and I, and we have a crew of, you know, four of us that really keep in touch even to this day. So that's, that's really nice too. Whereas, you know, even in the pro lifestyle, you don't really get that. It's, it's just a different, at least for me, because I did move around quite a bit. So it's tough to have those bonds. Um, and there's so much more turnover with pro, right? You got guys, especially like in the, the AHL and stuff like that. There's guys coming up, guys coming down, ATOs, PTOs, like all this open door type of thing, which is just the nature of the business. So, um, and the other part about Vernon was just, you know, the fans, I don't know what they get now here, probably 15, 1600. We used to pack that place, you know, pretty much every night. So when we played Salmon Arm, it was 3000 people, 3000 plus people and the barn was just going. And that's when we, 
you know, the game was different. I was just sent out there, out there to literally hurt people and the crowd would just go bonkers. I think if, I know, Zinger, you probably remember that starting play we used to do. If, I think if you oh, did yeah. that, I, I'd probably get, ex, like, not suspended. I think you'd just be kicked out of the league if you did that. But Yeah, you'd have uh, probably a fine every game. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Like, for me, coming from Revelstoke, Vernon was a big city, which is hilarious to think now. But um, it was kind of like, oh, I made it. I remember watching, coming to watch the, the games here when I was, you know, 12, 13. And that was the NHL. I was like, oh, I want to do that. And, and, uh, and I did it. And it was, yeah, we had a great time. Vernon was... I think even still is probably top five, if not even higher programs for, for junior A in Canada. So uh, we were pretty fortunate. And then, you know, Duncan, the old owner there treated us like gold and um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. So where was, where was the best rink uh, back then to play on the road in the BC junior? Oh, ooh, that's a good question. I really love Penticton's old rink, that tiny uh, mm-hmm. memorial rink there because we had some wars with those guys. Um, probably the, I remember the most scared I was in my, was my rookie year in Chilliwack. I remember they had the boards, the double boards. It was like, how higher boards? Four feet, maybe? They had the four yeah. feet, and then there was another foot of board that like indented. So if you got, it was like hitting a cement wall and they had a tough team and it was my, I was 18 and I was like fighting to stay in the league on this tiny little kid getting beat up half the time and i remember going to that rink like holy where am i <laughs> but uh yeah they had, they had some good barns like now they all have these beautiful rinks right the, the kids are spoiled nowadays we like we slugged it out as you guys probably did too in some of those character rinks that um even like vernon's old civic we had those blasts from the past games that were hilarious and awesome i got some good stories about those ones about vandy um he would just get so amped up for those games, our coach. But yeah, yeah no, I'll get Yeah. Okay, so let's move to college now. So after Vernon, uh, you spent four years at Brown University majoring in human biology. Uh, what was the biggest adjustment that you had to make uh, making that next step to college hockey? Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting one because like going to Vernon, you know, I every sort of step of the way or every tier I climbed, I kind of always reverted back to to fighting really and I couldn't do that at Brown so it was kind of like you know what am I going to add to my game and you know in college there's I don't know what the rosters are now but it's you know 28 30 kids so I remember going there my freshman year and thinking like how am I going to make the starting lineup and I basically just reverted because my last year at Vernon I had sort of added that layer of offense to my game not I mean Zinger you remember like I don't think I scored my first goal my first year until like game 50. Like I wasn't that good. I was just a grinder that and fought a lot. That last year, aside from that, the burn injuries I dealt with and I didn't play many games. I think I played 20 or 25 games, but you know, I was starting to find that. And then when I go to college, it was, uh, it was a real eye opener because just once you climb the ladder, everyone's that much better. And I got there and I thought, ah, geez, these guys are way bigger, way faster. Um, and I knew that I wasn't going to fill a top six role again, like just when I went to Vernon. So I just basically said, okay, I got to go back to my grinder. Like, and I just, it's funny. I, I actually just started, we had like our scrimmage games 
in camp and I just started running everyone and I heard a couple guys and I remember the coach I hit this one guy he was a senior and he like came around the net and I just basically said like all right I'm just gonna basically give them no choice but to play me and that's finally what happened the, the senior came around the net and I just blew him up in his cage like came into his head and cut him for like 40 stitches it was a mess and then he quit the next day and the coach came in and he's like he's like you got to stop hitting our guys so much like we got games in a couple weeks and I said well I'm just trying to make the team I don't know who's who and he's like you're going to be playing opening night and I thought okay perfect and I walked out and so I had made the opening night but then it's funny my first game my first two shifts were playing Cornell and my first shift I got a four minute charging penalty I don't even think I hit the guy <laughs> get out of the, they score a goal or two goals to get it out of the box second shift I get a hitting from behind penalty five minutes they scored again we're down like three nothing I didn't I didn't play for two months like, oh, there's my my career's done welcome to college yeah and I, so I uh similar to my first year at Vernon I was really just reckless I don't even think I knew where the puck was my first year in both Vernon and and Brown but um that's just what I had to do. And I, you know, I made a name for myself and got noticed, not maybe in the best way, the first impression at Brown, but um, once I sort of dialed that in and was smarter about it, then, then yeah, I made, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't think I played for whatever the opening night in college is like end of October. And then right up until like the last game in December before Christmas break, I think I finally got back in and, and, uh, and sort of solidified myself in that role and then um, just sort of grew from there. Awesome. Patty, so next question for uh, sort of a double question. First one is how, how did you get to Brown? Like how were you recruited? And then once you were in Brown, how difficult was it juggling the hockey and the school at the same time, especially at an Ivy League school? Just want to sort of get an idea of how difficult it was for you to juggle that. Yeah, how did I get to Brown? That's actually a, another funny story. I was actually in the hospital in Vancouver um, after this burn accident I had after the playoffs. And, and that was my goal. Like, once I got to Vernon, I was like, I really want to get a scholarship. I'm not going to major junior. That wasn't an option. And I still, you know, I hadn't got any, any interest or anything. Um, and then finally I'm sitting in the hospital, I'm a couple of weeks in and Van de Kamp, our coach calls me and he said, you know, Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I just got a call from, uh, one of the assistant coaches at Brown university. And, you know, I told him your situation and I thought, okay, I was pretty, pretty amped up on painkillers and a little bit out of it. But, uh, I talked to him and then I called Danny Brooks at Brown and basically, yeah, he was just like, sorry to hear what happened. Because at that point, I was told I wasn't even playing hockey again. So it was kind of just like kicking the kick in the end. Um, but that's funny. After I hung up the phone, he was just, you know, he just said, listen, like, we just wish you a good recovery. Hope you get better. You know, we know the future's uncertain. But, you know, we just, we like you as a player. Like, I know he told Van de Camper coach, hey, we're looking for this type of player. And Vandy said, uh, well, I got the perfect guy for you. He's just there's a little problem he's in the hospital right so yeah but it's funny like I the first couple weeks in that hospital I sort of accepted that I'm like okay my career is probably over um that's fine I had a good run and then after that call it was just my my mindset sort of flipped and I said no like I don't accept that why should I 
just because the doctor's saying that doesn't mean I can't do that. So that's a whole nother, uh, a long conversation we could have about how I, uh, and how I went about getting healthy and all the, the journey that summer. But basically that, that really gave me, uh, pushed me over the edge to, to become, you know, just a, a really a dog and just not accept, you know, that fate. And, um, so I did that. And then Zinger, I don't know if you remember, but I find I did play on opening night, but I had the, the issues like probably three weeks into the season where, because I had, you know, grafts on my legs and burnt through so much muscle that I had like this pelvis issue that just wouldn't go away. So I was getting like shot up with Toradol and cortisone just so I could play, just so I could try and get that scholarship because that phone call from, from Danny Brooks really, really drove me and, um, you know, kind of gave me that mindset to, to overcome that adversity. And finally I got my fly down and came back and I tried to play and I was like, I was coming to the rink on crutches. I could barely walk. And once they offered me and I signed my, my, uh, letter, we just basically said, okay, I need to shut it down and try and get healthy here. So it was quite the journey. And, um, but that was honestly like my NHL when I, when I signed with Brown, I was like, it was such a, a relief of what I'd gone through that previous summer. So that's the story of, of how that happened. It was, uh, I had talked to a couple of other schools at the start of the season, but not like Brown. So once again, it was kind of like, it was sort of my only choice. And like, I just, I was chasing that scholarship. So as soon as that was an option, I said, yep, okay, boom. And then we agreed with, with Vandy and, and Brown just to shut it down and try and get healthy. Um, and then to your question about, you know, juggling school at Brown, that was, uh, yeah, that wasn't an easy one, really. Like when I went there, everyone was taking, uh, you know, business economics. And I just, I kind of just assumed that's what I should be taking. And I they had a good mentorship program there, which was, which was really helpful. So I chatted with, uh, with my guy and I said, I don't know what to take. Like, I don't want to take business. I just wasn't interested in that. He's like, what do you want to, what do you want to take? And once again, I didn't think pro hockey was an option. It wasn't even on the radar for me at this point. I was 21. Um, so I, you know, I'm trying to think of a career after. And he said, it doesn't matter what you take. At the end of the day, he's like, everyone I work with, you know, they have history degrees or geology degrees. Like really what you're doing is proving you can learn, proving you can stay committed to something with the degree, right? unless you want to become, you know, potentially a lawyer or a doctor, then yeah, you might want to specialize. And at that point I was honestly thinking pre-med or doctor. So he said, then take that, take what you want to take. So that's what I did. And, um, it was, it was a grind because I would have, you know, labs and all these other like four hour commitments during the day before practice. So, um, yeah, it was a grind and it was, um, learned about time management, like coming from junior where it's, there's no such thing, don't have any time management, right? So it's more like the opposite of keeping yourself busy so you don't get in trouble kind of management. But um, yeah, it was a grind, but, but Brown was nice too, where you could, and I think a couple of the Ivy League schools do that, where you can have the option to do some courses pass fail. So I would take, you know, two or three courses for my major every semester. And then I would try and sprinkle in one that was maybe a little bit easier or like way out in left field. They really wanted you to shape your education and become a, you know, a more rounded student, which was, which I think was great. And so it gave me the opportunity to, you know, add maybe an easier course, so to speak, um, 
to balance that out because yeah, some of the, you know, the chemistry and the biology courses were, were a lot of time commitment. So I was a little bit out of my element in some of those classes. Sometimes I was like, what am I doing here? I'm like, <laughs> in Ivy League school, I got no clue what I'm doing, but <laughs> I made it. I got, I got my yeah. degree, so. Yeah, what was your first, uh, what was your first kind of instance where you said, okay, I'm not in Verdon anymore when you went to Brown? Like, what was the first time you realized you were at an Ivy League school and that you were actually in college? The first time I realized that is when I checked into the freshman dorm. I, I roomed with another hockey guy, which w was a fluke. But, I mean, I'm sure the coaches made sure we um, shared a room together because usually you're not supposed to. You're supposed to room with just a, a random student, right? So I got paired up with uh, Timberlake, and you probably remember him. He was the captain of uh, Port Alberni. So here, him and I show up first day with, you know, we got our hockey bags and garbage bags and a couple cases of beer because we're 21. And Devin looks like he's 40. And, you know, we're these big guys. And I remember all the freshmen showing up and with their parents' fancy cars and all the parents looking at us like, who are these mutants living with my kid? <laughs> so that was, uh, I think that was the like, uh -huh, welcome to Brown moment. We're like going on to this like really cool dorm and we got garbage bags and, and hockey bags and everyone's wheeling in their suitcases and their fancy cars. It was pretty funny. That's great. So let's move, uh, let's move through now to the HL. You spent two seasons with the Manitoba Moose in beautiful Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, did you find those two years spent in Winnipeg to help prepare you for the NHL? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, like when I signed my deal, I, everyone wants to, to make the NHL. Um, Vancouver was pretty stacked, so I didn't want to be totally naive about it, and I knew there was a good chance that I would start in, in Manitoba. And I had a really good camp. I was really happy, and um, I did end up starting there. And, you know, it was funny because – the first like week of the season, I actually did pretty well. I think I had like two assists my first game, couple of my, you know, game three or something. And then it sort of really started tailing off. And with college, you know, you're playing on the weekends. And then when you go pro, it's especially then, like we were playing seven games in nine days sometimes. And we were always playing and it was a, it was a tough adjustment for me. So, but that part helped get me ready. But the offensive part was, was a, sort of tough for me because I did have aspirations of, you know, being maybe not necessarily a top six guy, but maybe a third line guy. And I did, I started out in a top six role with, with the moose. And then, you know, it's tough. Like it's pro, you know, it's a business. If you're not producing, then they look on someone else. So for me, once I sort of went down that, it was like, okay, quick adjustment, go back to what I know. And I knew I would have to probably start doing some fighting and, and playing that role, but I, I really embraced it, you know, probably, a, especially a couple, three weeks into the season. And, um, and that's what it, that's what it took for me to, to really embrace that role. Like I said, so once that, I actually remember my first fight that season, I, I think we we're in Rockford and I just got this big D-man's cross-checking me in front of the net and I, you know, I dropped my gloves and I had, I usually would switch to my lefts if I got in tight and it worked out well and I popped them and I, I skate to the bench and I'm like, that was Wade Brookbank. And, you know, I used to watch this guy fight and he is fuming. He's chasing after me to the box and he, I sit down in the box and I'm just like, shit, I beat, I beat up. I didn't beat him up, but I won the fight. 
And he's just like, we're going again, kid. Like, you better be ready. And I was like, hey, man, I'm taking that win. <laughs> he chased me around for the rest of the season. So I would probably would have been better off just letting him beat me up. But, um, but yeah, so that was – and then from there, I really embraced the role. And it, you know what? It was really – it was like a tough dynamic because when you're – I was on a pretty significant AHL deal, a two-way deal. So when that's the case, you know – you're expected to produce at the HL where it was tough because Vancouver was like, no, we're really happy with your game. Do what you're doing. I was a fourth line fighter and banger, but Manitoba didn't really have that plan for me. You know, they're kind of like, we need you to produce. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm getting the message from the Vancouver guys saying they're happy, but like, you know, it was, it was a bit of an interesting dynamic. So at the end of the day, it worked out, and I'd like to think I, I could have made the NHL if it, if it wasn't for that, but, you know, that's the role I embraced, just like kind of reverting back to the Vernon days, and it always just came back down to just really staying in, in the lineup. What, can, what am I going to do to stay in the lineup and make that next step? And that was, you know, playing that role, fighting and hitting and skating. And, um, yeah, the offense part never came, but it's it's tough when you're in pro it's such a tight leash too where you don't especially when I got to the NHL of you know if you make a mistake you just don't play so it's it's sort of tough to get out of that role because I did you know probably I had more skill than my stats show um but it, it's just such a hard hard environment to like to have that leash which which you don't really get right so but not that that's that's an unknown but myself and and the fourth line guys that I played with it's just that was our style and we we did it well and it worked out so so being a fighter in junior uh, obviously is a little bit different than when you move to the NHL you're talking about you know fighting Belak um, did you get nervous you know game days before knowing seeing who's in the lineup and knowing there's some guys in the lineup that they're dressing that you might have to fight just in order to kind of make a name for yourself yeah, I did, but not until later in my career. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Like, I think most guys that you talk to that had that role, most of the guys felt the same, that anxiety. And I definitely felt that towards the end of my career when, you know, it was more when injuries started building up and I, you know, started counting the concussions I had. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to, you know, deal with issues down the road. So you start thinking about that. And like for me, I wasn't a big guy too. So when I'm like lining up and looking at the sheet, which I didn't do my first couple of years and I, I just started doing that and it was, I would have rather not have done that, but you just, it's just always in your head, right? It's always, well, who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? Um, like I remember I fought my first game with, uh, with the Capitals. I fought Peluso on the Jets and he beat the snot out of me and like, he's a big dude and he just strung me out. And I think I got about 30 stitches in the back of my head. And uh, it's funny, actually, Mullet and the trainers in Winnipeg, he comes in and he's just looking at my head. He's like, what are you doing fighting that guy, man? And uh, but that was that was half of the, the job was just showing up. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't win every fight, um, but a lot of it was just showing up. And um, that's just that's just part of the role and the anxiety, like, like I said, for me, didn't come later. Um, my first few years, it was just I don't know, you're a little bit just lost in the moment of being in professional hockey and I really loved the role um it was just later that yeah I, I started you know getting more of that anxiety and having a hard time sleeping thinking about it's not like a, a boxing or a UFC where it's like okay you got a fight or two a year and then you can have reprieve 
it's kind of like, okay, I've got, I fought this guy. I can play the rest of the game. And then it's like, okay, I got a game in three days. Now I'm thinking about Reeves uh, or whoever it might be that, you know, I'm like, okay, I got, this guy's got 40 pounds on me. It's not like I'm going toe to toe with the guy in junior where, you know, I, I probably won't get knocked out. Like if, if you like want to go shot for shot with some of these guys, you're going to get hurt. Right. So that's another thing where you just, uh, it's always in the back of your head. You don't want to get knocked out in front of 20,000 people. Right. So uh, luckily I never did. You don't want to get Winchestered. <laughs> yeah. 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 Luckily I had more on my side. Yeah. So I guess I had that. <laughs> well, I was telling Andy, I was prepping for this uh, podcast and sometimes I just throw on some old hockey clips on YouTube. So I threw on, you know, best NHL hockey fights. And I think it was number four, you versus Winchester. And, uh, yeah. My friend Aaron was in the room and I said, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy I'm going to be interviewing. And she's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was an, an interesting timing one because it was, that was my second year. And that was when we lost to Boston in the finals, right? And the consensus was we were pushovers. We weren't tough enough. So I knew I had a good shot to make the team, but they, they brought in like, Owen Nolan, Todd Fedoric, all these guys on PTOs and a bunch of other guys. There was about seven guys competing for a spot. So I thought, oh man, like I thought I was a shoe in now I'm not sure. And that game is definitely what I knew right after that I had made the team because I knocked, I think, I think it was Demers, one of the D-man. That's why yeah. Winchester fought me is because I, I knocked this guy out of the game. Their D-man coming around the net, popped him with a good hit. And then, yeah, Winchester was a weird one. He almost like we squared off and he like just ran at me and I was like, what is this guy? It just threw me off. And I luckily, like, as he went to grab me, I pulled back and he was just wide open and I he went, put him down. Um, we had a good rematch, I think a month or two later, but uh, yeah, I knew right then that I had made the team and then I, I did. So it was interesting timing, but it worked out. Hey, uh, I don't know. You probably don't know this, but Z walks around the office here and he's got some pretty good one-liners that he walks around with. And I'm sure that's not surprising. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure over your, uh, <laughs> your, your games in, in junior and in college and in pro uh, who had, who, who were some of the best trash talkers that you played with or played against? Oh, and pro. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Zinger was definitely a good trash talker. He never backed it up. Though. Oh, that's what I had you for, Patty. <laughs> I would just, I would just yeah, trip yeah. up really loud and then just hide behind you and, and uh, Chewy there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you definitely would. You probably still would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stick to my role, right? I know my role. No, I remember. Well, well Zinger texted me before it. He's like, hey, if, if they ask you, like, did I always get beat wide in practice? Tell them, like, <laughs> obviously not. And I said, well jokingly i was like yeah except or no i think you said games but then i was like well except me <laughs> practice all the time which which is definitely not true because i wasn't that good i think like i said i didn't score you had speed though game 50 but <laughs> uh, yeah i had the speed but not the hands um the best trash talker in pro oh man i don't know that's a tough one i can tell you one of the, the funniest guys i played with was uh chimera and ward in washington these two were like it was a comedy show with these guys. It was, it was pretty fun to be around just the way they got each other going and in warmups, I'll never forget. I, I can't remember, like Jimmer would just skate around, skate around buzzing. And then someone hit him with a puck, like in warmup in the head. And he just like, it wasn't that hard, but he just pretended like he was passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Fans are just like, shoot, 
there's no one helping him and we're like just all dying laughing but oh trash talker i don't know why i can't think of anyone off the top of my head just by you that means i was yeah i mean no i wasn't that good i i definitely participated i guess you could say um max lapierre was a pretty good one he was pretty ruthless and he had some good material when i was in vancouver um he'd be a good a guy that probably stood out i mean it, it's the same thing with guys like marchand right it, you hate him but you want him on your team that's part of it is because they get under your skin yeah. so much right so he was definitely up there um I'm trying to think guys in washington there was a few but uh yeah, i don't know <laughs> So your first game, Aaron, came uh, back in December 16, 2010. Uh, what was that day like for you? Uh, kind of run us through the day. And was your family able to attend your first NHL game? Yeah, no, they were. They, I got a, a call into the office in Manitoba, and they, they broke the news. And like I said, with the, with the dynamic, I was a little bit – I wasn't shocked, but, um, you know, they were wanting more, and they're like – I thought that's what the meeting was going to be about. Hey, we need you to do more of it. It's like, oh, no, you're actually going to Vancouver. So I thought, okay, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and uh, called my family and, you know, obviously everyone was really excited. And, yeah, I got there the day before. Luckily, it was nice to get a practice in um, the day before. So I flew to Vancouver, got the practice. My family came down. Everyone was there. Didn't sleep much the night before. Um, I remember actually in warm-up of the game, I got out there and I was so nervous. Just, I don't even think I touched the puck. I started trying to touch the puck and I kept, I didn't have hands to begin with. So when I, you know, pair that with the nerves of my first NHL game, I'm just like, I just skated around, did the line rushes and, you know, tried to dish the puck out as fast as I could. And, but it's funny, like, I think you might've found that even too. Um, you know, even especially in your pro games where, once, once the game starts, you settle in and it's just like the nerves calm down and you're kind of settled in. But um, yeah, the leading up to it was definitely nerve wracking. My whole, but my whole family was there and um, it was a really cool experience. I'll definitely never forget it. So. so let's fast forward to two games later, your second NHL game, similar to kind of what you said with, uh, with Manitoba, where you, you got a couple early points early in your AHL career. Uh, you scored your first goal in your second NHL game against Jaroslav Halak of St. Louis. Uh, what was that moment like? And run us through that goal. Yeah, I actually played with Yarrow in, in Washington, so I got that in my in my cap. So I always rubbed it in every practice. If I scored, I'd be like, just like my first goal. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. I mean, I only had five of them. But, uh, yeah, no, it was – it's it's funny, and I'm sure a lot of guys will tell you this, when – when I got to the NHL, those first, especially the first, you know, five games, it was kind of a real eye-opener because it was almost easier. Um, there's just so, it's so much more structured. There's no mistakes. Every time I got the puck, you know, even on my half wall or whatever, I'm like, it was just an easy, like, guys are always in the right spot. So it's funny, that game, I, I actually hit a post in the third period too. So I thought, wow, like, I, I really belong here. And it was not that I didn't think I, I would, but it really, you know, fortified that in my head where, you know, I've worked hard and no, like you definitely belong here. And yeah, I scored that goal. It was actually like a, a textbook fourth line goal. I think it was Glasser or one of the, or, or Balduke who I was playing with just ran over a guy in the corner. I just went to the net, got it. And I mean, it looks like I made a good play and waited Yarrow out to slide over. But I mean, truthfully, I just got it. And just like, I, if I would have one time that he would have saved it. 
So I didn't, probably didn't have the confidence to do that. I, I caught it and when he slow, slid over, his five hole was wide open and I, yeah, I didn't even know. It was kind of like a blackout. I just remember like, holy shit, I just scored a goal. Like, you know, my first, my second game. So, and I didn't even score it in the, I don't think I'd scored in Manitoba up until that point either. So it's just, and that was more to the fact of what I just said of everyone's in, always in the right spots. You know, you can throw a guy a grenade and he's going to pick it up. Um, the HL is a little less structured because, you know, guys are trying to get noticed. And sometimes to do that, you got to run out of position or make a big hit where you can't do that in the NHL. And nor do you need to, right? You need to play within the system and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. And, like, just that feeling of, you know, how much better the guys are. It's just every every level you go up and just seeing the structure and – and yeah, and just like I said, how good everyone is. It was it was pretty amazing. Did they give you the rookie lap in warm up? No, no, I don't know why, but uh, they didn't. Yeah, I don't know. So in Vancouver, Aaron, you started working with Glenn Carnegie as your skills coach. Yeah, Glennie, yeah. As as listeners of the podcast know, he just joined our rink family. Uh, what was it like working with Glenn, and how did skill development help you in your career? Yeah, Glennie was awesome. Unfortunately, this sounds bad, but I'll, I'll um, get to the point. I did spend a lot extra time with Glennie just only because of injuries. So Glennie and I got to know each other really well. But um, yeah, he was, uh, I love, I mean, Glennie as a person, first of all, is, is an awesome guy. So we had a really good relationship. Um, I don't know where he learned these skill moves, but he's definitely got, got some good ones. So yeah, we had my, it was my second year, I had a shoulder injury. Um, and when I came back for the last like month or two, you know, I was just working with Glennie one-on-one or there'd be three of us. And it was crazy the, how much better I got um, with my skills and just things that you don't even think about even developing like little things around the net, um, edge work while you're handling the puck, things like that were, um, yeah, it made such a it made such a difference, and I really noticed. You know, I really wish I would have got back into the lineup that April. I guess when we, I think we lost to the Kings in the first round. But like I said, I was just coming off my shoulder injury, but that was one of the best I the best I had felt about my game because I'd worked with Glennie every day for, and you know, we would do skills work. You know, a, a couple times a week. I don't know what the regimen is these days. It might be a little bit different, but um, yeah, I was with Glennie every day and. The stuff he had us doing was was awesome, and and like I said, just it's 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 easier to work with someone when you like them as a person, and you know, respect what they bring, and and you can have some fun too, right? It's it's a business, but at the end of the day, I I just like that it was still yeah, it's it's a job, but it, you know, you can have fun working hard too. So, Glenn, you definitely uh, believed in that. So that's good. You guys got him on your on your squad. Yeah, we're pretty pumped and excited to have him. He's. He's in Kelowna right now, uh, you know, starting out uh, with our skill development there. So excited to work with him in the future for sure. I'll have to reach out to Glenn if he's in Kelowna. I'll get my comeback going. Go. <laughs> hey, if you could, here's a question for you. If you could go, if you could go back and write a letter to your 18-year-old self, uh, what would some advice you would be, uh, you'd give yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably just say stay the course, know your role, 
um, yeah, there's going to be bumps along the way. And I think, yeah, be patient, know your role, stay the course. And that was a big thing. I think that's a good message message for a lot of the kids now too, because I, I mean, you guys would know more about this than, than myself, but I think a lot of the kids now are in such a rush, right. To, to move on. And, you know, my story is just, just one example of where, you know, that's not necessarily always the best case. Like I went to college at 21. I didn't turn pro till I was 25 and, you know, I was a late bloomer. So it, for me, it worked out better. And, it worked out better that I wasn't drafted at 25. I was a free agent. I, you know, had offers from all these teams and I got to pick and choose and, you know, I could assign for an unlimited amount and I wasn't, you know, I think you guys would agree if you're drafted like first couple rounds. Yeah. But if you're almost better, if you're, especially if you're going the college route to not be drafted um, if you're really late. So, and I just think there's so much prestige with, with the draft and I just, you know, it's not necessarily the be all end all, like guys slog it out. And you look at some of the guys like, um, like Burroughs on Vancouver, you know, come out of nowhere, the East coast league and you slog it through never drafted. Those are just good examples of, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not going to make it or you're going to make it. Right. So I think that's a good one is just be patient and, um, and stay the course. Like I think for my 18 year old self, I would also say, you know, stay the course. You never know what'll happen because it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think I would have a sniff at playing in the East coast hockey league. And, you know, a lot of things happen along the way with adversity that, you know, allowed me to, to pursue that. Um, like you look at my stats at Brown, like I think I was 10 points every year. And then I went from not even being on the radar. And then my last year of college being like a top three NCAA prospect. And I had offers from 10 teams. So, I was 24. So it's just another point where stay the course. You never know what'll happen, you know, and if, um, and you got to do things that a lot of kids aren't willing to do. Um, but I had that in my corner. I knew that, but I think just stay the course, be patient, work hard and, and you never know. Cool. So after two and a half years in Vancouver, you moved to Washington, uh, became part of the Washington Capitals organization. How different were those locker rooms run and, was the, the culture of the teams completely different or were they very similar? No, it's funny to say that they were completely different. Um, Vancouver, when I went there, is much what you would expect. I think I got both ends of the spectrum. Vancouver was very uh, regimented. We had every resource you could imagine. Sleep doctors, uh, sports psychologists. We were using like the art machines. Uh, the neuro tracker, like you could spend all day at the rink. It was, it was pretty cool. Like all the resources we had, um, you know, workouts laid out for you, everything. Um, great food, meals, certain times, all this stuff. And then I got to Washington and I'll never forget the first week went by and I get to the rink and I was like, I asked Ovi or, or one of the guys and I said, Hey, do we have a workout like today? Or he's like, yeah, if you want, <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was a country club too much so. And I think that's, you saw that shift, like, or maybe it was because I left, who knows. But um, you saw that shift when, uh, when Trotz came in. And not that it was a coaching staff. It was just, um, it was a little bit of a country club. And then I think you saw that they had to go through all that adversity and to see them grow as a team. 
because my last year, granted, I didn't play because of my neck injury that, that caused me to retire, but just being around, it was very, very much more regimented and, and, um, and everything like that. And we had a great, a great team, had a lot of fun. So yeah, it's funny you asked that because it was complete polar opposite. And then um, they did change that. And then I don't think it's any accident. You saw them win the cup in, what was that, 2018? Um, so yeah, it, it changed for the better. And, um, but it was just such a close group, especially in, in Washington, the, the guys are so close. We had a lot of fun together. So um, I think that paired with a change in the dynamic of the whole organization um, was, was needed. And then that helped them get over the edge, I think. So you mentioned Ovechkin, you know, he played with Carlson, Backstrom, uh, the Sedin brothers in, in Vancouver. Uh, did you ever get a chance to pick those guys' brains? Uh, you know, big time hockey guys, a guy like Ovi, did you ever get a chance to sit down with him and kind of pick his brain? And, and if so, did they ever show you anything in practice uh, that you thought was really cool or different? Um, I didn't really pick their brains a lot. I, don't, I mostly just watched in admiration, to be honest, like the way Ovi would shoot the puck or the way like the Sedins would, the, the things they would do in practice was just, it's just insane. These guys to see day to day what, what they do. Um, you just, it really goes to show you there is a, a really, it's similar to the, the comment I made about junior hockey, about the, you know, the hard line between the top six and the bottom six, like the elite of the elite in the NHL is, I mean, everyone is that good, but these guys are on another level. Like the way Obi shoots the puck, I don't think it's any secret that there's a chance he could break, you know, Gretzky's goal record because how he works on the works on his shot every day and um and the Sedins the way they you know pl play with the puck together it's just uh, it's almost something you can't really teach I mean that they work on it hard obviously but um I didn't really pick their brains um I more picked the coaches brains and uh and those resources a little bit it's too when you're when you're a rookie especially my first couple of years you're kind of staying in your lane a little bit and you don't want to make a lot of noise and I was just you know, getting to work and just really honestly just enjoying it. And um, yeah, honestly, like kind of admiration at some of these guys like Backstrom's a guy that I think everyone will tell you, he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. He's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. He would be up there with the Sedins in terms of the way he sees the game and slows it down. It's just, I remember like practicing penalty kill against this guy is just like, I might as well just stand still. Like it doesn't matter what I do. So, I mean, like I said, those things, I think for me, it was just like, I know what I am. And like, trust me, I worked hard to get better every day. But for me, that was like getting better at making the right play off the wall, not, you know, trying to throw saucer passes through like five guys to back door, you know, like what I mean. So that was part of like, know my role. And, um, but I would grab guys like, like backy and we would play keep away. And once again, I didn't stand much of a chance, but it was more like that, just, just having fun with the guys and, um, and getting better through that. But yeah, to answer your question, I didn't really pick their brains too much. It was, I think they were just on a whole nother planet in terms of, of skill. So it was more just a little admiration. Did any uh, skilled players ever pick your brain on how to protect themselves? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it'd be like, I, it was more just of the dialogue of, going out for the game and maybe over your back you'd be like oh you, you fight tonight like <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see i don't know 
Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty loose, so. That's awesome, Patty. Um, so bring us to our next uh, thing to talk about is uh, the Hockey Gives Blood initiative that you are a part of. Um, just sort of sort of tell us why you join and why you think uh, it's an important uh, part of today, not only of hockey players, but everyone. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys know the backstory, but a guy I played junior hockey with, Stu Middleton um, and Tanner Murray, they founded this right after the, the Humboldt accident happened. Stu, when we were playing, I played with him in Revelstoke in Junior B, and his dad got killed in a head-on accident coming to watch one of our games. And, you know, nothing really ever came of it. It was just another statistic was, is what, you know, stuck with Stu. And then when the Humboldt thing came around, the amount of blood that these, some of these kids needed to try and save their lives and did save some of their lives was, was astronomical. And for Stu, you know, and for everyone involved, all the money raised with that was, was great, but it was more like, there's no, what's the legacy? And like, what are people going to remember like 30 years from now? And that's what, that's how Hockey Gives Blood was born was, you know, really trying to make a difference for the future in terms of blood donations and stem cell donations and, and, you know, all these arms of like organs, tissues, um, plasma, like there's so many arms of it too. And we really thought, you know, you guys know the hockey world is, is so tight and it's such a good community to leverage that to make a difference. And that's exactly what we've done. And, um, you know, we're partnered, especially with the, the CHL, with our player ambassador program now is our sort of our flagship program. Or it's not sort of, it is our flagship program. And, <clears throat> you know, these kids are in a position to make a big difference in some of these, um, with some of these teams. And that's what we've done. And, so basically what it is is, yeah, it's just advocating for, for stem cell blood donations within the hockey community just to really reach out to a, a, a bigger group of, of people because in Canada we know hockey is such a big part of our lives, right? So um, to have that, you know, or to leverage it is, it's a mutual benefit relationship for everyone. So that's basically where it's gone. And then for me personally, you know, when I was in the hospital being burnt and I needed my surgeries, I got blood. Um, my ex-wife and my future wife, funny enough, both needed blood. So it's very something, or it's, it's something it's uh, close to home for me personally. So when they approached me, it was, it was a no brainer. And um, like I said, I played with the guys, so I knew them and yeah, to see like how much we've grown since, since inception, it's been, been pretty cool to be a part of. So yeah, if you, if your listeners want to check it out, just go check out, HockeyGivesBlood.ca and um, get more info. And donate blood, obviously. And donate blood. It's especially with especially with COVID. It's I think it's seventy percent. Um, you know, people are obviously less inclined, and just because of the nature of the pandemic we're living in. But the the blood shortage is you know the need for blood hasn't gone down. It's stayed the same. So there's really a there's really a gap there and that's what we're really trying to, to hit home here is, you know, these people still need, you know, blood to whether they're dealing with an illness, a disease, an injury, um, you know, blood doesn't, it doesn't stay in the bank forever. It goes, you know, you, you need to replenish those, those sources. So. Well, Aaron, thanks for taking the time out of your day. I uh, really appreciate you coming on here, telling some funny stories and, uh, 
you know, just giving us a little bit of background on your hockey path. Uh, we wish you all the luck moving forward with Hockey Gives Blood. And uh, yeah, just thanks again for coming on. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Good to see you again, Zinger. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, good to see you too, buddy. We'll keep in touch here. First career goal set up by a huge hit from Tanner Glass. And Aaron Volpatti has the Canucks up 1-0. What a great interview. We had Aaron Volpatti on. He opened up, told some funny stories, some junior hockey, some stories along his hockey career. Um, what a great guy, Z. You're lucky to have uh, met him at a young age. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was nice to sort of see him grow as a player and as a, as a person. Um, you know, some of the stories that he told, very funny, but also some stories that were uh, facing a lot of adversity for him. So just, uh, just nice to see from, uh, from a different point of view of a player who was a late bloomer. Um, like he said, if you're going in the first couple rounds, it's all nice and keen, but trying to find a way to make it still as a late bloomer, and he found the perfect route. Um, so I was happy to, happy to have him on today and looking forward to uh, what he has in the future with Hockey Gives Blood. Yeah, I thought it was really neat how he talked about, you know, every level that he played. He had to kind of adapt and make some adjustments and never really thought – he kind of took it step by step, right? He even said in his junior days he didn't, he didn't look too far ahead. And I think for – that's great information for young athletes out there is, you know, live in the now, as Wayne and Garth would say. Um, you know, live in the now and don't look too far ahead. Have aspirations and stuff like that and goals and set goals. Uh, you know, have fun with where you're at. And remember, you, you might have to change the way you play at different levels, right? You might be a goal scorer and midget, but have to go more to a grinding style in junior. But if you have that ability and you have the ability to, you know, adapt at that next level, anything can happen. And he's a, he's a prime example of that. So, Andy, anything left? For the rest of the day, what do you got going on tonight? Uh, just going to be uh, back on the ice again for a couple one-on-ones and then uh, enjoy a nice dinner. Looks like the sun's coming out here. So, barbecue weather. You know it, buddy. All right. Well, uh, have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next week on ATR. Yeah.